Ecclesiastes. We're going to be in chapter 3 tonight, covering the first 15 verses of our series, Jesus is Hope, as we look at uh, Solomon's experience with everything under the sun and realize uh, we need to look above the sun, uh, that we can't find what we want, need, desire, and ultimately find satisfaction in uh, here on earth alone. We need God. We need something bigger than ourselves, bigger than our experiences. And so tonight, we're going to be talking about Seasons. Seasons of life. Now, this is a pretty famous passage, at least the first eight verses, um, as Solomon tells us about different seasons under the sun. Uh, How many of y'all grew up in Kansas? Anybody? Most of you? Everyone on this side, no one on this side? Well, in Kansas, um, it gets hot in the summertime, does it not? You wear shorts, right? Uh, someone said I was rocking shorts tonight. I said, I don't rock anything anymore. I just, I just wear it. Um, in the wintertime, you obviously don't wear shorts anymore. You wear, you wear coats and uh, long-sleeve clothes and all kinds of stuff. But when I was growing up, and I'm sure um, if you grew up around here, you had a similar experience. In, in, in junior high, high school, regardless of how cold it was in the wintertime, it uh, didn't matter if it was December, January, February, there was always at least one kid, right, one kid who was wearing shorts. Like all summer long, shorts, fall, shorts, cold and rainy, shorts, springtime, shorts, and in the middle of winter, shorts, right? And it, it's kind of like guys who go on vacation, and uh, they're in like Hawaii, and so they buy, you know, an, a Hawaiian shirt or whatever, and then they wear it all the time back in Kansas, and you just think to yourself, come on. There's a season for that. There's a time for that. There's a place for that. And those things change, right? That's a big idea tonight. Solomon teaches us uh, seasons change. And when we talk about seasons tonight, we've got to understand, um, really, it's just telling us um, not a, necessarily a specific period of time. Like It could be a day. It could be weeks, months, years of your life. But it's really summing up the things that you're going through right now. When we say season, we're talking about what you're dealing with, your circumstances right now. You see, God created the physical world to teach us spiritual truths. He created the things that are seen to teach us about the things that are unseen. And we know uh, in the physical world, there's seasons. There's seasons. Here in Kansas, you get all four. Summer, fall, spring, winter, you get all of the seasons. And so we recognize spiritually, it's not always fun to go through different seasons. Some people handle them way better than other people. Some just focus on their past and what season they came from, or they prepare and try to control the future and what season they're going to go into, and they have a hard time enjoying the season they're currently in. Do you know what season you're in? I think God's will is for us to recognize what season of life are you in and recognize that There's ebbs and flows like a river all through life. There's ups and downs like mountain peaks all through life. That's life. Uh, But in every single season, there's beauty. And Solomon's going to teach us tonight. And there's opportunity to glorify God. No matter how fun or hard that season might be, uh, God wants to grow us in every single one of them. There's rhythms of life. We've got to learn how to flow with them. And so, I don't know about you. Maybe you're one who... Um, you want to live in all four seasons. You like living in Kansas. Maybe you're one who, uh, <laughs> you, you just want to move to Florida. You want to be in one long season that's enjoyable all the time. Uh, well, that's not the way that it works spiritually. Uh, God lets us go through all the seasons, regardless of who you are, or what you've done, 
It's not about karma, right? It's not about what you um, have put yourself in. There are seasons that some of us will, all of us will ultimately go through. If you are born, how many of you are born, right? You are going to go through seasons. The very nature of life is that you and I are mortal human beings. And the consequence of sin is death. So the fact that we have been born means that things will ultimately change. We've got to die, right? There's going to be a bunch of changes and seasons in between. So I'm going to let Solomon teach us about the different seasons tonight. But before we do that, let's, uh, let's have a little rock and roll history quiz here. Maybe you recognize this song here. Tell me someone recognizes that song. You ain't, you ain't that holy. Come on. No, that's the birds. 1965, the birds. But if you uh, hear that song in the future, just remember, they got 99.9% of that from a book. It's a couple thousand years old, and that's straight out of Ecclesiastes. So in case you didn't know, even the rock and roll giants love themselves some Ecclesiastes once in a while. I don't know if the birds are a giant. The, you know what I'm saying. Let's jump in here. If you got a Bible, feel free to open it up. We'll kick this back on for you. We'll be in Ecclesiastes 3. We're going to check out the first eight verses. Uh, that's half of the text tonight, and we'll talk about the different seasons. Verse 1, it says, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under the sun, under heaven. So, that's all of us. We're all going to go through seasons, and there's a time and a place for everything, so to speak. Verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be quiet, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. First thing we see is you got to know your seasons. you got to know your seasons. Let's walk back through those again. Some of them are pretty self-explanatory. It says, a time to be born and a time to die. Things start, right? Churches are notorious for, for loving things to be born but not wanting them to die. Like we start programs and ministries and we keep them going for how long? Ever, right? Because we think things that start in the church, they, they can't die, right? So we make sure committees and teams and things keep things together. And some things just need to die. Relationships start, relationships end. Jobs start, jobs end. You're born and you die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. There's a time where you invest in things. There's a time where you settle down, you put roots in the ground, you plant, you invest. And there's a time where you reap the benefits of that. There's a time where you put in the hard work and there's days where you get to reap the benefits of that hard work. A time to kill and time to heal. It's not talking about necessarily killing, like one person killing another or killing an animal as much as it's saying a time to destroy, right? And then a time to restore. Sometimes you, you tear things down. Sometimes you build them up. There's days 
where all you want to do is laugh. You got friends who you know when you hang out with, you're just going to laugh all the time with them. Anybody have any of those friends? A couple of you. We've got to get you guys friends. I promise. It's a wonderful thing. I've heard it's wonderful. I don't have many myself, but you laugh with people. There's days where you just, all you want to do is cry. Anybody been there? It's a time to dance, to have a party, to enjoy things. There's a time to mourn, to be sad. Sometimes we want to rush through, get people out of that mourning stage and get them, get them to the dancing stage. And God's saying, there's a time. There's a season for all these things. There's a time where someone's going to build your house and a time where someone's going to tear your house down. There's a time where you hug people and a time where you say, you know what, not right now. There's a time where you say, all right, I'm going after this. And there's a time where you say, I can't do that anymore. There's a time to keep, time to get rid of stuff. And all the hoarders say, amen on that. Anybody? Okay, nobody. All right. I like to get rid of stuff. A time to tear and a time to mend. Time to be quiet. Time to zip your lips. Sometimes God's saying, you just got to zip your lips a little bit. Stop talking. And time to open your mouth. Maybe it's an injustice. Maybe you need to step up and stand up for someone. Give someone some advice. Speak truth into someone's life. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. There's a time for all of these things. You and I, you know, um, all through life we got mile markers, right? You take, uh, you, you take first day of school pictures, right? Mom and dad cry. They put you on the bus when you're kindergartner, and then the first grade, then second grade, third grade. Like those are mile markers, and they want to see them next to each other. You get driver's license, right? That's a mile marker. You graduate, right? You get your first job. You get your first paycheck. You hang that first dollar bill on the wall and a plaque because those are mile markers. That you're going from one season to another. So I think the key for you and I, and I think it, it, even though sometimes it's really difficult, it's good to know which season you're in uh, so that you can best know how to glorify God in that season. You see, if you don't ever think about what season you're in, sometimes some of us end up walking around like, like a, a teenager on his first day of high school, walking down the halls of life, not knowing where we are, confused and, and, and need direction as to where our locker and our classroom and we're always wondering, why is this happening? Why is God doing this? And, and why are these circumstances pressing in on me? And I'm trying to stay back in this world. I'm trying to make things work today that worked yesterday, but they don't work today anymore. And I'm confused. Why? And God's saying, seasons change. Seasons change. What you could do 10 years ago, you might not be able to do today. What was right for you and your family 20 years ago might not be right for you today. Where are you at? What season are you in? I think there's a couple questions a lot of us ask ourselves. Pretty simple questions. When you ask them, kind of hard to find the answer. First one is most of us wonder, what, what do I do? How do I know which season I'm in? Well, I, I think um, there's an element of it that's obviously very subjective, right? So whenever you ask questions like this, you got to realize you may never have the answer. It's not like you're going to be able to write an essay and say, I'm in this season right now. It's a guarantee, and I'm in this season, and I've been in that season, and I've been in this. Sometimes it's hard to summarize and characterize exactly where we are in life. You might have certain emotions, certain feelings. 
But if you do strive and try to figure out, you know what, even though it's a little subjective, it's a little hard to tell, you're going to know generally in two ways. Number one, internally. Sometimes when you're walking through life internally, whether it's your gut, your heart, or the Holy Spirit working through your gut or your heart, you just know it's time to move on. You ever been in a relationship where you just knew? Maybe it wasn't crazy right now, but you're like, hmm, I think it's time to move on. Right? You ever been in a job or living in a city where you thought, yeah, something inside is telling me it's time to move on. It's time to move on. Now, again, you can't always trust your gut, right, apart from Christ. <laughs> and our, our heart is deceitful above all things, right? And so you can't just say, I'm going to be guided by my heart or my gut. But if you are in tune with the Holy Spirit, if you know the word of God, if you are striving after Christ, then there is an element of trusting that he's working through you internally, transforming you from the inside out. Another way is externally. Sometimes internally, you might not want the season to change, but externally, God's saying the season is changing. Like ready or not, winter is coming. And regardless of how much you want spring to come, it will stay until God says spring is here. Sometimes there's just external things that that stop. How many empty nesters are ready for their last kid to leave the home, right? Like you don't usually hear that story very often. Like I was so ready. You know, they cry, and, they, and it's, it's the fact that school ended, and college or the workforce or whatever is beginning, and they're going, right? They're going. How many stay-at-home moms are just jumping for joy on the first day of kindergarten? They're usually crying, but ready or not, that day is coming. So sometimes you might know it's coming internally, You say, I know a season is changing. I'm going from one season of life to another, right? And other times, without you being able to control a thing, the world uh, and the circumstances, and even God ordained, certainly, circumstances, tell you, ready or not, here it comes. So then you ask yourself, well, okay, seasons are changing, trying to figure out what season of life I'm in. How do I adjust to it? I I don't want to sound like your grandpa, but I would say, one step at a time. Here's the beauty. This is what I love. The very reason for changes and seasons and the idea that everything changes in life is because of our sinfulness and our brokenness. God didn't create us to be changed. He created us to be in a relationship with him and he would be with us and forever and we would not die. That's how he created us. But when sin entered the world, what happened? Things broke. Things broke and things changed. When death entered the scene, we realized that which is born must die. And in between, a whole bunch of things will always be changing all the time. So that's the sad part about seasons and why they exist. Because you and I, we live in, uh, we live on a time continuum. And even though God's outside of that time, like we know as long as you're on earth, you're going to experience change. But the beauty is this. The beauty is that The world changing, your circumstances changing, the seasons changing, have a natural way of pushing you away from the things of the world, pushing you away from clinging to and finding your hope in all the stuff around you and pushing you to something that is objective and that doesn't move. Does anyone know what that might be? Right? God. To me, that's a beautiful thing, that the very nature of seasons changing is the world saying, we can't give you all that you need. Let's do something different. 
Oh, let's go from here. Let's do this. Let's do this. And it's just a constant reminder. I can't cling to these things. And anyone who ever does fight against the seasons finds themselves not only fighting against God-ordained changes, but just fighting a battle you can't win. You can't win. And God's saying, you need to look at this and realize, you take it one step at a time as you adjust to seasons changing, but you've got to realize, i got better things for you. I got better things for you. And there's beauty in every season and God can be glorified in every season. So some of us adjust to that better than others. I think here's a few signs that you might not be adjusting too well to the season you're in. Maybe you know, maybe you're saying, I'm an empty nester. You say, you know, I'm a, uh, I just got into a, a, a relationship starting a new job. This is the season. I'm going through a season of heartache, despair. I'm going through health issues. Uh, I'm healthy. Maybe whatever season you're in, how are you adjusting? Of course, I don't have a a verse tagged on to each one of those, but if you take the whole of Scripture and the gospel itself, you'll find uh, all four of these spoken about a whole bunch of ways and a whole bunch of times all throughout scripture the first one is impatience you ever made a really bad decision just because you wanted out of your current season right where you you decide okay god you're not fast enough for my plans so i'm going to force the issue sometimes the biggest step of faith is staying put right sometimes the biggest step of faith is saying i'm just going to bear down and realize God has me in this place, in this job, in this family, in this circumstance, with these health issues, with this going on, and I'm just going to realize I can't change that. I'm going to stop trying to push out of the season and start pushing into Christ. Seasons change, he doesn't. I remember when, um, you know, I've been campus pastor here for two and a half years, um, but when we started this seven years ago, as many of you know, uh, we were part of that church planning team. I applied for the position of campus pastor seven years ago. Man, I was still in school, seminary, and I, uh, I, I was a young pup thinking, I could do this. I could do this. Uh, I felt like God was telling me apply for this. I didn't know it would be five years later <laughs> that I would get the job. But I remember when I learned, you know what, I wasn't going to get this job. Um, but I was still going to serve on the team, and I was going to serve for free, and I was going to serve with joy, and it was going to be a good thing. Um, but it wasn't exactly how I thought it should look. Um, I learned for that first year patience and endurance and stuff and realizing I'm not in control, and I don't get to make decisions, and that's okay. And at some point, you've got to realize embrace where you are because when you start fighting the seasons, you end up fighting God right? You end up fighting reality. When we left here (laughs) six years ago, the last place in the world I ever thought I would come back is Salina, Kansas. I'd go anywhere but Salina, Kansas. Why? Because I thought maybe Salina was the problem. Newsflash. (laughs) It ain't the place. It might be the person in the place. It ain't the place. Not that Not that fresh starts are bad, but you don't dictate them. God does. What about denial? Some people just can't come to terms with the fact that seasons are changing, and here they are, right? You've got um, 
You got the teenager who goes through high school and they're used to uh, having people telling them all about their homework and what to do. And then they go to college and they realize no one's making them do their homework at night. And they're having a hard time dealing with the reality. They're denying that, hey, I'm in a different season. I better catch up. Or maybe that young couple, they go out and they have a good time. Friday, Saturday night, they're hanging out with their friends. They're enjoying life a little bit. They go out and they stay out late. And then, boom, all of a sudden, marriage and a baby happen. And you're waking up at 2.30 and 5.30 anyway every night. But when you don't show up at home until 11.30, there's now issues in the marriage. And they're denying that you're in a new stage of life. Move with the season. Or the empty nesters who call their kids every five minutes when they go off to college. Why? Because they're used to them being around and the kids are saying, we love you. We want to continue to love you. Please leave us alone (laughs) for just a second. Please. Are you in a place of denial? You just can't believe. And God is doing this in our life. All signs point to it, but I don't want it, so I'm going to pretend like it's not happening. The more you, again, the more you focus on this not happening, the less you're going to be thinking about how can I glorify God in this current season? What about apathy? Some of us have been there. Some of us have thought, you know what? I don't even care what season I'm in anymore, right? I see Solomon lists all those seasons. Okay, time for this, time for that, time for this, time for that. Don't even care. I'm just going to go with the flow. So you're apathetic. You're apathetic when you've got to realize this isn't Narnia. not stuck in winter for the rest of your life, right? When you deny the rhythms of life, you deny sanctification. In order for seasons in life to change, God wants you to change. That's key. He lets seasons change because he wants to change you. And if you're apathetic, what you're saying is, God, I don't care about sanctification. I don't care about becoming more like you and less like myself. I really just want to stay wherever I am and and just, just be. And God's saying, if you don't step into the future, not only are you often losing out on things I want to do for you, but you're also losing out on things I want to do in you. There's some people who are going to be leaders in the future, but because they don't want to move and take a step of faith into the next season, they're not seeing that. God's saying, get out of your comfort zone and walk into this new season. Last one, worry. Of course, this isn't an exhaustive list. Some are impatient, some deny where they are, some are apathetic, and some worry. You see, when you realize, okay, here's the deal. Pastor Ryan's saying everything's going to change except for God, but under the sun, everything's going to change. What do you do? It's going to make you usually do one of two things. Either you will enjoy and say, okay, things change. I'm just going to enjoy the ride, or you're going to Hunker down and try to control the ride, and you're going to be a worrywart. You see, some people, when they see the reality that things change in life, I'm not where I was two years ago, I'm not going to be here in two years, they sometimes become uncertain and unstable, and they look for things to cling to, and then we want to become control freaks. And when we become control freaks, we become worrywarts, right? Because we want to control the ride, and then we worry, right? And this is, this is we got to be careful because you can, have, you can have circumstance or season idolatry to where you care more about whether the current season is pleasant than you do about what God is doing in you in his presence. You ever been there? 
Ever been in a place where you found yourself just hoping? Like we do this for our kids all the time. I just hope this goes well for them. I just hope this is easy for them. I just hope the next stage isn't too hard for them. I'm going to center all my prayers around an easy, smooth, wonderful, pleasant thing. And God's saying, some seasons just won't be pleasant. It won't. Not that it's bad to pray for pleasantries, but at some point you've got to embrace the fact that you can't control everything. There's no point in worrying about it. But if you embrace the God who doesn't change, you'll find purpose and meaning in things that you would have otherwise neglected. Verse 9. I really was, like when, when I was prepping this, I was thinking, wow, this is much more encouraging than the previous Ecclesiastes studies. But after preaching half of it, now I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, think, I think it might be like the others. I think it might be like the others. It's still encouraging, just in a different way. Verse 9. He says, what do people really get for all their hard work? What do people really get for all their hard work? We've talked about that. I have seen the burden God has placed on us all. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Second thing we see is the gift of perspective. The gift of perspective. Big idea. Even when you feel like you're trudging along in life, you're, you're, you're slowly moving to the finish line and it's getting harder and harder and your legs feel like concrete and bricks all mixed together and you're just like, oh, this is painful. Is it worth it? What's going on? Solomon says there's beauty in it. No matter how relentless, no matter how bad it seems, there's beauty in each thing. And again, I'll say this all night long. You can bring God glory. You can magnify him. You can show his awesomeness in every season. What an experience. You know you can't offer that. I said this on Sunday about something completely different. But you know you can't offer that sacrifice in heaven, right? To to to. to magnify God, to praise God in every season, that's something only you can do on earth. Right? Like you, you can only praise him in the storm of tears on earth because that ain't going to happen in heaven. The gift of perspective. It says that he, he's planted eternity in the human heart. Now this is both a really good thing if you think about it, in that way, and maybe a really sad thing. Here's, here's why. Because eternity is an undetermined length of time. Like it's, it's forever, right? It just goes on and on and on. And in this context, it, it also means perfection. But there's going to be a time where things are completed, things are perfect, and that time is going to go on forever. It's going to be in heaven with God, right? And so on one hand, here's, here's the bad part of eternity being in your heart. It is that you're going to wake up every day, and you're going to realize, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to clean around the house. I'm going to help fix things. I'm going to go get groceries. I'm going to cook dinner just to wake up tomorrow and have to do all those things over again because they're never, ever actually completed. They just get done for a little bit, and then I can take a deep breath, and then they're again and again and again. I just keep doing this and having eternity in my heart knowing this is temporary and broken, and never will I ever be able to say, hey, this is done. This is finished. This is over on earth in the sense that I will in heaven. 
Say, it's all done. It's all fixed. It's all completed in heaven. And it goes on forever like that. And so eternity in your heart on earth is sometimes really sad. It's really sad. Because your heart's crying out saying, it's not supposed to be like this. Can't anything be perfected and just finished here on earth? On the flip side, it's really good. So that's why eternity in your heart might feel kind of bad. On the flip side, it's really good. That God has placed eternity in our hearts because he has given us a longing for a different home. And when we realize everything is temporary and everything is broken, but just under the sun, then you realize you got the gift of perspective. That no matter what season you're going through, you're always realizing it won't stay like this forever. Has that been a blessing to anyone at any point in your life? Where you're going through something hard and you realize it won't be like this forever. Thank God that eternity is in our heart. And for every time you've been frustrated that you can't fix things here on earth, you realize he can and he will. And his plan is better than mine and his power is greater than mine. Thank God that I've got eternity in my heart. That's a blessing. It's a blessing. You, um, I don't know if you're like me. Have you ever made, <laughs> I'll ask this question again, a really bad decision in a season, and I'll add to it, but you didn't realize it until down the road, like way down the road? Have an eternity in your heart um, changes things. I, I remember when I was um, well, 19, 20, and I went to Hutchinson, I started dating a girl, and um, we were together for a year and a half. We got engaged. Her family was nice. They, you know, when you go to a new place, you start dating someone. Um, sometimes all their friends become your friends, and their family kind of becomes your family because you ain't got anyone else. And, um, and so my life was kind of shaped around that person for a year and a half. Of course, being engaged, the assumption is you're going to get married. But I knew, you ever been in a relationship where you knew, I know this isn't perfect, and I don't even think I'm happy, but it's better than the alternative, <laughs> which is just being single, because then you're in the unknown. And you're thinking, well, if you got something decent, and you're this far down the line, might as well just <laughs> see it through. But how many people, especially at 19, can see what marriage to that one person would be like in 20 years? Or 30 years? Or how about five years, Right? And all the moms and dads are being, amen, like that's what we've been trying to tell our kids. And I remember the relationship got to the point where it was obvious, we're going to have to nix this thing. And we did. And it was heartbreaking. I was really sad. I couldn't see past tomorrow. I remember wanting to get plugged into the church. And three weeks after, as I'm learning about what it means to follow Christ, three weeks after we broke up, there's a new guy with her in church, with her family. It was literally like someone just got dropped into the place that I was, and I was taken out. And of course, you lose not only that person, but their family and your friends and everything else that you helped build around their life. That was a little over 10 years ago. I can tell you there have been 10 zillion times, and there will be 10 zillion more times, hyperbole, that I have been incredibly thankful that relationship did not work out. There's times, and this is going to sound odd, 
being married to Tara, this is going to sound, I'm going to say this the right way, I promise. That as we go from year five to six to seven to eight to nine, where I realize, like, thank God I love her and that she is awesome. Because this is a long time. Like, this is, we've been married a long time and it's only been eight, nine years. And I'm thinking to myself, could you picture being with someone that, like, you didn't really want to be with for 20, 30, 40, 50 years? be miserable you see even in life you get a taste where you can't see the beauty in the moment but God reveals to you the beauty later it's a beautiful thing that relationship ended and in every season you go through God's saying there's beauty in everything And there's ultimately the most beautiful thing in eternity. And when that's in your heart, you realize that's in love. It changes your perspective in all of life. So whether it's the court date, the chemo, the miscarriage, the unemployment, it doesn't feel good in the moment. But Solomon says there's beauty in all things. God can be glorified in all things. And ultimately, there's not going to be a tear that you cry in vain, a heartbreak that you have felt in vain, a sin that you have confessed in vain. God can make something beautiful out of it. If you seek him, if your love becomes Jesus, he can make something beautiful. Some of you are in that place tonight where you say, I don't have the perspective that there's beauty in my current season. I want the beauty from the season I came from, or I want the beauty that I'm assuming will come in the season after this, and I can't find the beauty right here, right now. Apostle Paul says, yeah, I get it. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says in verse 12, Now we see things imperfectly as in a poor mirror, But then we will see everything with perfect clarity, then being in heaven, face to face with Christ. And all that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me now. There's a whole bunch of things in your life that might not make sense in the moment. They might not make sense 10 years from now. But when you see him face to face, you'll say, I see the beauty in everything. And what God is doing is he's saying right now on earth, I'm allowing you to realize seasons change, but there is beauty in everything. Look for the beauty. Look for the opportunity to bring God glory. Every season has it. Don't miss out on it. Verses 12 and 13. So I concluded, there's nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. Oh, you guys are going to love this passage. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor. For these are gifts from God. Stop right there. So what do we do in the meantime? We enjoy life. Now, this is, I, it feels like heresy just writing that as, as a theme. But let me explain. Solomon's not saying, he's not saying that you can just do whatever you want. Right? The key is always, it's a gift from God, assuming you're doing this with God. Now, here's the thing. For some of us, this is mind-blowing. 
our minds just, just pop. It can't handle it because the paradigm we've been living under for most of us is, is that the things of the world, um, like drinking and partying and having fun and doing all the cool stuff that they do, most of which we would consider sinful in different ways, that's the fun stuff. That's the stuff that brings joy, and that's on earth, and Christians can't have any fun and joy and happiness on earth. We have a God who's got rules and regulations, and we just got to hang out with him. We don't get the other fun stuff, right? We don't, we don't talk about happiness and finding joy much on earth. We just consider it all contaminated, right? Just don't touch it. Don't touch it. The issue, though, has never been, is happiness good? Is joy good? No, the issue has always been, where are you trying to find it, and are you settling? Because only ultimately are you going to find it in God, but you can find it in God here on earth, right? You can you can eat and drink, and you can um, you you can enjoy the fruits of your labor with God on earth. I think whoever one commentator said, whoever uh, does the advertising for heaven has done a really bad job <laughs> on earth. I mean, you think about the way that we view heaven. It's kind of a buzzkill, isn't it? Like, we don't think of God as a fun God or a God of happiness or joy. Like, we just, we just think of holiness and honor and respect, which are all true, and we just assume that cannot include enjoyment and fun, right? We just redefine joy. We're like, yeah, there's a joy, but it's like some weird joy no one really knows about. It's not anything like what any of us are used to. And we, our picture of heaven is a bunch of fat, chubby babies playing harps with wings that can carry them off the ground maybe for a few feet into their lame existence. Like, we, we think of hell as rock and roll and tattoos and an open bar and fun, right? But heaven is awesome. The kingdom of God is awesome. And the picture that God paints of it is awesome. I am... Um, There's a documentary out there um, called Happy. Anybody ever seen that? I know half of you watch Netflix religiously, right? But there's a, there's a documentary called Happy. Tara and I watched it not too long ago, and here, here's the gist of it. They, um, in the 1980s, started studying the idea of what makes humans happy, and they searched all over the world, poor people, rich people, all kinds of things. And, and so they're trying to figure out what makes people happy. They studied hundreds of people and their lives and their brain activity and all kinds of things, what makes people happy, and they came to this conclusion. They, they said there's three general things that all humans will externally strive for to bring happiness, money, Image and status. They say money. And it was actually interesting with money because they said that um, what they had found in their studies was those who didn't have enough money to provide for their basic needs um, were substantially less happy than those who had enough money to provide for their basic needs. But once you had enough money to provide for your basic needs, the increase in money did not increase happiness. In other words, they said there's a huge difference between someone in America who makes 5000 and 50000 There's very little difference in happiness between the person who makes 50000 and $5 million. And they call it the economic treadmill, that no matter how much money you make, you will adjust yourself to that, your expectations, your lifestyle, and you will start to crave more. And so there's never enough because you get on the treadmill, you keep walking, and you want more. 
is that people chase money because they think that's going to bring happiness, right? They're, they're going to chase uh, their image. They want to look better. They want to they perceive and have people perceive them as better. They want a status that's better. That's going to bring happiness, right? Let's just get a better title. No matter what, in my job, in my family, in life, I want a better title. And then they said, those are the three things people strive for, but there's three things inherently, and this, is, this blows my mind. I, Tara and I watched this, and I couldn't even watch all of it. I paused it, and I talked to him. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? They said three things. The people, they found all over the world, no matter what society, what culture, that inherently, if they had this inside, it brought happiness, and that they were in stark contrast to those other three things. And it was, number one, personal growth. That those who learn more, who, who were constantly learning, constantly growing or inherently enjoying life more. As they learned about things, as they grew, um, they, they liked that. They liked to challenge themselves and, and grow, right? You ever felt happiness from learning something, conquering something, doing something that you hadn't done before? The second one was community. That those who have close family re- and friend relationships Because they said, apparently human beings are created with the desire to be around other human beings and to interact with them. And so those in, and they were following people all over the world who were in commune style stuff and how they were so much happier than people who were isolated, blah, 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 blah. And then they had the third one. It was serving others. They said those who give of themselves to others, whether it be charity or just helping people, but thinking, how can I help other people, were more inherently happy than those who focused on themselves. And I'm, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. This is crazy to me that the secular world is so far behind, right? They're making this documentary about 30 years of study on happiness just to tell us, hey, what Jesus and everyone else in the Bible were talking about thousands of years ago is actually what makes you happy. And if you throw God in the middle of that, and from God all things are going to flow, then you can be really happy. You want to talk about personal growth? It's called sanctification, becoming more like Jesus and less like yourself. You want to talk about community? It's called gospel community. Picture Jesus at the center where you bear one another burdens, you encourage one another, you lift one another up, you forgive one another, you love one another, all the one another's of Scripture. Picture that and make you happy. And then serving others? Anyway, <laughs> this is the basics of Christianity. I'm thinking to myself, these three groundbreaking things that you have found that make humans happy are stuff that Christians talk about. Let's see, every, every single time we get together. <laughs> every single time we get together. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Isn't that crazy? What makes you happy is living in obedience to God, with God, having the presence of God. Heaven's going to be wonderful. We're in the meantime right now, but you and I, we get to bring a little bit of heaven to earth. That's the beauty about being Christians. Is that you and I, we're going to we're going to die and our body will be separated from our soul. And uh, Paul says to be 
uh, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's not an in-between state, but that you will be with God, and your body will be buried, and, and your spirit will be with him. But then it also says there'll be a uh, resurrection of the dead, where at some point you will be united then, your body and your soul again, but you won't just be in heaven as it stands now forever. He says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And so you get this picture painted at the end of Revelation where we're going to have a feast with God. And we're going to be with God and his people. And we're going to be praising him and eating with him and drinking with him and enjoying life with him like Solomon is saying here. And then you have, you have even more beautiful things like, like Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 where it says that, that God in our presence, he will rejoice over us and that he, he will sing over us in that day. Can you picture what that's going to be like? Uh, we think of heaven, we just think singing to God, but there'll be a time where Jesus will enter the room and he will, as we're feasting with him, he will sing over us. He will rejoice that we are his children, that we're here with him. It says in Zephaniah 3.17, it says that his love will quiet us for every worried heart, for every person who struggles, for everyone who says, I don't know, I need the answer, I need this. His love will quiet us. Talk about beautiful. And so you and I, every time we eat, every time we drink, we get to choose. Am I going to do this with God? You know, when um, Tara and I, Obviously, I like being with her, right? She's my wife. Uh, when I leave town, if it's just for a couple of days or whatever the case has been, over the years, um, when I leave her and Silas, like, I think about them. We live three blocks from uh, the church. When I drive to work in the morning, I, I, this is going to be odd, I sing songs about my boy. Like, I just random songs come to mind. I just sing as I'm walking out the door. I sing about him, just make up little goofy lyrics in my mind because I'm just, I'm just, I just rejoice over him. I love him, right? And so uh, when I leave town, uh, oftentimes when I'm eating, I'll stop and I'll think, what, is, what would Tara and Silas think about this? And sometimes we'll call each other on the phone. Sometimes when we're in the hotel, one, one time when I was staying in a hotel, this is going to sound crazy, uh, we were FaceTiming each other, right? Had the laptop there, and we were about to go to sleep, and we just left it on. Like eight hours later, I woke up. My, I thought the comforter was going to burst into flames because we had, we had live streaming it the whole time. My computer was roasted. But I say all that to say, it's, um, it's a beautiful thing that as you're walking to heaven, that you realize, I'm going to eat with him, I'm going to drink with him in heaven, and I'm going to do that with him now on earth. Joey's going to give us the lowdown as to whether we're all going to have insurance claims in the morning. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. course if you need to go please and i know that whatever god does is final nothing can be added to it or taken from it and god's purpose is that people should fear him and what is happening now has happened before and what will happen in the future has happened before because god makes the same things over happen over and over again last thing we see in the seasons of life stop trying to control everything verse 15 simply this over and over, seasons come, seasons go. There's winter, there'll be winter again. There's summer, there'll be summer again. Everything that has been will come again and vice versa. 
That's the seasons of life. But then it says in verse 14, and I know that whatever God does is final, that that God is in control, that God's got the plan, that God is sovereign. He's over everything, that nothing could be added to it or taken from it. So you can try, but you can't ultimately change the seasons. Things will come, things will go. All you get to do, though, is choose whether you're going to bow down to him. Because God's purpose is that people should fear him, that you respect him, that you realize you are holy and you are smarter than me and you have details that I will never get on earth. You ever come to that place where you just had to realize God's got details I can't get on earth. The, the picture is blurry and I've been striving to get details and I won't take a step until I get details. And he's saying, you're not me and you won't ever get those details. So then you ask yourself, okay, with all this being said, how in the world do we approach seasons? How do we approach them? Well, it's kind of like a kite. You fly a kite, you realize, you know what? That kite goes up in the air. Does the kite dictate where it goes? No, not as much as the wind and the hail and the, the rain, right? God, God is the wind. It, it's, like, um, it's like a ship. Now, see, now that it's storming like this, I got you. So it's like, well, again, if any of y'all need to go, you can go. Um, don't, don't feel bad about that. But I think we're in it together now. So if we need to run to the basement, we will run to the basement. Um, let, me, let me wrap it up this way. It's Kenwood Cove time. How many, how many of y'all like water parks? Anybody? Right? Let me just end with this analogy, and we'll get you guys out of here. When you ask yourself, how am I supposed to approach the seasons of life? When you go to Kenwood Cove, and you climb up that like big old ladder thing to the top, and they got, the, what, four different slides that you can go through? Notice next time the responses of the people. Some people get to the top, and before they go down the slide, they freak out. They think, I can't believe I'm here. I don't want to do this. I can't believe this, this is here. And the psalmist saying, like it or not, the season is coming. They just freak out. Some people get to the top, and, and you don't necessarily see the freak out on their face, but they're overthinking things. They're thinking, man, there's a lot that can go wrong. If I go down here, what if I get hurt? What if, what if something bad happens? What if, what if I'm one of those on the news where, like, the, the water park, the whole slide, like, snapped off, and they go flying somewhere. Like, what if that's me? What about the safety standards here? Do they even have safety standards? And they overthink it to the point to where it's miserable. Some, you'll see this once in a while, some will want to control it. They'll say, okay, I'll do this, but I'm going to control it. And they'll go down, and even like halfway down, they start putting their arms and legs. Have you ever tried that? you ever had plastic burn, right, from, from a slide? That doesn't work very well. You usually get hurt when you try to control things because whether you like it or not, you're going down. And you can either fight it and make it worse, or you can just go down. You can't stop halfway and climb back up. That's disastrous. But then, there's another group of people that simply get to the top and realize, you know what, I'm here, I'm going to do this. And they realize, I can either throw up my hands in frustration and realize, I don't know what's going to happen, or I can throw up my hands and surrender and just go with the flow and enjoy it 
and realize there's going to be some bumps and bruises. It's not going to look the way I think. I'm going to regret it at one moment and then enjoy it in the next, but I'm just going to embrace it. And they go. God's saying, you got to want me more than your circumstances to change. You got to cling to me. You got to seek me. You got to see seasons as a blessing, not as a curse on your life. And you got to realize there is beauty in every season God can be glorified. How are you handling the season you're in right now? Are you freaking out? Are you overthinking it? Are you halfway down trying to stop yourself saying, how can I get back? Are you throwing up your hands and surrender and saying, let's do this with God? It don't matter what I'm doing or where I'm at, as much as it matters who I'm with. And that changes everything, makes seasons enjoyable. Let's pray.